We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. There has been a lot of name-calling against our office today, corporate maligning, slurring, much of it coming from one of you, who claims that prison is better than here. And none of us can say boo, because none of us have ever been to prison. Well, there's somebody I'd like you to meet, somebody else who has been to prison, who can tell you what it is really like. I'm Prison Mike! Been a lot of fun talk about prison today, but I am here to scare you straight. I am here to scare you straight! Where did you learn all of this? Internet. So not prison. And prison, it's 50-50. Both. Look, prison stinks, is what I'm saying. It's not like you can go home and recharge your batteries and come back in the morning and be with your friends having fun in the office. What'd you do, Prison Mike? I stole. And I robbed. And I kidnapped the president's son and held him for ransom. That is quite the rap sheet, Prison Mike. And I never got caught, neither. Well, you're in prison, but... Mm -hmm. Prison Mike, what was the food like in prison? Gruel. Sandwiches. Gruel omelets. Nothing but gruel. Plus, you can eat your own hair. Wow. Prison sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Andy. Thanks. Prison Mike, what's the very, very worst thing about prison? Don't encourage him. The worst thing about prison was the, was the Dementors. They were flying all over the place, and they were scary, and then they'd come down, and they sucked the soul out of your body, and it hurt! Dementors like in Harry Potter? No, not Harry Potter. There are no movies in prison. All right. Bethany asked me this morning what that had to do with the sermon today. Does it have to have anything to do with it? It's just funny. I just wanted to see it. No, it's a great example of mixing up your stories, right? Uh, Michael Scott has obviously never been to prison. He's pulling his knowledge from the internet and from movies and TV shows and then mixing in other stories there like the Dementors from Harry Potter and it starts to make no sense. Uh, And I think that that's a danger that we all run the risk of as well is mixing up our stories and not keeping our stories straight, right? And so what we've been doing as we've journeyed through the story of the Bible is we've been seeing that this is the true story of the whole world that we live in. And last week, we got to this point where uh, we heard about this guy named Saul who got his name changed to Paul. We, we just heard the first little introduction of part of him entering into that story, right? That his little story becomes a part of this grand story that the Bible tells uh, and so what happened was that God, after sending Jesus, his own son, we sang that song, Love Comes Down, that God comes to be with us. Emmanuel means God with us, that God comes in the form of Jesus, in the form of man, and lives perfectly with us. And he feeds people, and he heals people, and he loves people, and he teaches people, and then he dies. And he dies for the sake of the whole world. 
to pay the penalty of our rebellion against God. And then the power of the Holy Spirit rises him back to life again. And Jesus lives still forever in that body that he was born in. And then Jesus promised, hey, you're going to also get the helper, the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you. And you will be my body because I'm going to prepare a place for you. So in my absence, you, followers of Jesus, will be the body of Christ present here in the world, filled with the same spirit. And so we saw last week the spirit came upon the church and empowered them to go out and to speak the good news, to speak good news of hope to the world around them. And that thousands of people started to hear this good news and become followers of Jesus too. And they held on to this hope. And this guy, Saul, he, he actually was angry about this, right? He was, he was mad because he felt like this lie was coming into his story. And in his story, he was a devout follower of Yahweh, the true God of Israel, but he didn't know that Jesus was one with God. And so he thought, this was a lie being entered in. So he persecuted those who were following Jesus. He went after them. He, he made sure that they were thrown into prison or killed until the spirit of Jesus came upon Saul himself. And so then he changes his name, gives him a new identity. Paul then becomes someone who sees rightly this true story that he lives in, that Jesus is the one from God. And he goes out to share this good news, just like the rest of the disciples did, to spread this good news of hope to the world around him. And he ends up going all over to city, to city, to city, trying to share this good news with as many people as possible. That is no longer just for the Jewish people, but it is for the whole world, or as the Bible calls, Gentiles. That's just a word that means all the other nations who weren't Israel. And as he's doing this, he starts getting now persecuted, just like he had done to others. And he gets thrown into prison. And so what we're picking up in the story this morning is Paul's in prison, and he hears a story about this one church in Colossae. And he wants to write to the Colossians to encourage them. Because as he's thrown in prison, a friend of his gets thrown in prison as well and gives him reports of what's been happening there. And he says, hey, listen, they, they've heard the good news, but there's another story competing with that story too. And so this is what he says at the very beginning, Colossians. Colossians 1, I'm going to read the first, uh, just the verses 3 through 6. And Paul wrote to them, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the what? Hope reserved for you in heaven. So they have faith and love because of the hope that they heard about. He says, you have already heard about this hope and the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing. Let me pause right there and just pray. Father, we ask that as we hear your word this morning, it would be hope for us as well. And God, that any competing stories, any other things that we want to put our misplaced hope in, Lord, that you would just tear those down today. That we would see true hope is found in you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. They heard the good news of Jesus and it was their hope. Now, you guys have probably heard me talk about this before. Hope in the Bible, biblical hope, what we're talking about here in this context 
for what hope is, is a little bit different. In fact, it's a lot a bit different than how we usually use the word hope in our culture. Usually we use the word hope in a way that really just means wishful thinking, right? Like, I really hope I get this raise, right? I really hope we get to go to Disneyland. I really hope there's something good for dinner tonight, right? But there's, there's no basis to a lot of that. It's just this like, man, I wish that that would happen. And hope is not wishes. Hope is something much deeper. It's a confidence. It's an assurance. It's something you know is true because of what has already happened. So Paul said, you heard this hope, this good news of hope, and this is what he's talking about. You're wondering if we're gonna talk about the Christmas story at all since we are in Advent, right? We sang a Christmas song. Luke chapter one, Mary has a visitor, a messenger from God named Gabriel who comes and he gives her a message of hope and of good news. And he tells her, hey, the rescuer, the one that God promised to send to save the world that you have been waiting for your whole life, that your ancestors have been waiting for for centuries is coming. And he's coming through you. The Holy Spirit is going to allow you to give birth to a child. And this child will be Emmanuel. And then she goes and she visits her cousin Elizabeth and the angel had told her too, like, hey, Elizabeth, she's also in her old age, she's pregnant. And we know later in the story that that ends up being John, the Baptist, right? Cousin of Jesus. And so she goes, she visits, and immediately the little baby inside of Elizabeth's belly, John, leaps with joy because the spirit just stirs him up to know that the Lord is near. And so Elizabeth starts praising God. And she starts saying to Mary, this is good news. You're a favored person. God is bringing rescue through your womb. So then Mary herself, she starts delighting, just bursting out in song. And she goes through this poem of how God has seen her in her lowly place, how God has seen Israel in their lowly place, and how God has shown up. But this is what she does. She roots it in their story. Luke 1, verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This was the good news that Paul shared with people, that Peter shared with people when the Spirit came upon them, that all the disciples, the followers of Jesus were going out and spreading to the world around them. And this was the good news that the Colossians had received. And Paul's saying, I thank God for that. You have heard about this hope you have and you've heard about it from the God who has always been at work since the beginning of our story. And now you other nations, you're invited into this story with us, right? But here's the problem. Paul knows that they also have competing narratives around them. And in fact, there was a whole group of people who came into that little community of believers They were called Gnostics. And what the Gnostics believed was that everything spiritual that you can't see was good, but anything physical that you can see and touch and feel is bad. So your bodies are bad. And they would even, some of them would go so far as to just like beat themselves with themselves because their bodies needed punishment. 
So they would try to do all these things to kind of disassociate themselves from their body and from the physical reality around them. And then they were introducing all these ancient Jewish laws that Jesus said, hey, I fulfilled all that already and you're free now. But they were reintroducing those and saying, yeah, okay, you can believe Jesus, but also this. You can choose to follow Jesus, that's fine, but also make sure you don't eat pork. Make sure you're circumcised. Make sure you, and if you believe Jesus and do these things, then you will be saved. And what Paul is writing them is to remind them, no, no, no. Believe in just the simple good news of hope that you've heard, that it's Jesus alone. Not Jesus and obeying all the right things. Not Jesus and looking right on the outside, but just Jesus And so in chapter two of Colossians, and we're giving an overview of Colossians right now just to get an idea of some of the New Testament letters that are throughout our Bible, that it was always these new communities of believers who came to know Jesus for the first time, but then were struggling. And so they would get this letter from one of the apostles saying, hey, be encouraged, continue. And so in chapter two, verse eight, he wrote, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. So question, do you think that that's a warning that's applicable for us today still? Yeah. Be careful that no one deceives you through philosophy, right? Like really wise sounding sayings, through philosophy, through human tradition, through the the customs of our world and our culture. And all of it sounds reasonable, intelligent even. It, it, It sounds good, it sounds wise, and there may even be some wisdom in it. But what he's saying is, I know that the message of Jesus sounds foolish, but it's the true story. Don't mix in this other story with it. Don't mix in the lies. It may seem foolish. Do not let people deceive you, though, from what sounds right. Because what was the whole problem of the story so far? We've been going from Genesis all the way through. What's been the problem of the story? What did God say in Judges? That everyone did what was what? Right in their own eyes. It seemed to make sense. It seemed wise. It seemed right. What, What did the man and the woman do at the very beginning of the garden? The fruit looked good and pleasing to the eyes and it looked good for food. So they took and ate so that they could know what was right and not right for themselves. And Paul's reminding them, no, no, no. You've been given a new story. You've been given a new hope. Do not be deceived by the wisdom of the world around you, but instead follow only Christ. Now, it's really easy for us to look back at this and to go, yeah, like, come on, Colossians, get it together, right? And I could do a lot of work to show us how actually the view of of the Gnostics that was being entered into the church in Colossae is similar to other things that we've allowed into our way of thinking, right? And that we've even brought into our own faith oftentimes, with the church. But rather than just kind of like looking at the 
the things on the outside and going like, oh, okay, we have some of what the Colossians were believing too, and so I guess we should really listen to this letter. I'd rather look a little deeper at the heart, at the root of why they were mixing in other stories into their story. Paul's reminding them, you have a hope in Jesus. But just like the Colossians, we often misplace our hope in other things too, don't we? There's actually, you've probably heard us talk about this with Missio. If not, maybe you've heard Tim Keller write about it. Uh, But he says that there are four root idols, four source idols or heart idols that really drive every other thing that we struggle with, right? And so if you feel like, well, I, I struggle with lying and I just, man, I'm tempted by lying and I have this idol of lying, right? Most likely you're lying is an outcome, it's a result of something deeper, another story you've brought into your heart that you're believing, right? If, if it's alcohol and you just feel like, man, I'm just like tempted toward alcohol. Yes, both those things are a problem, right? We got to deal with those, but you're probably, you're not placing your hope in the liquid itself, right? You have some other narrative underneath that's lying to you and telling you, hey, if you go after this, you'll find the thing that you need. And so Tim Keller writes that there are actually four of these root idols where everything else comes out of. And I don't know if that's exhaustive or not, but I am willing to bet that all of us in here can relate to these four. If not one, probably all four of them. So I'm gonna give them to you and then we'll talk about them, okay? It's comfort. Already some of you are like, yeah, okay, you got me. Comfort approval, control, and success. Comfort. How many of us feel like hope was ripped away from us when all the comforts of 2019 were ripped away in early 2020? How many of us found new ways to latch on to other comforts to make it through? Right? How how many of us go to a food or a drink when we're feeling uncomfortable? Better yet, how many of us, when we're sitting there and it's quiet, feel uncomfortable, so we immediately do this? Pull that computer out of your pocket and start staring at a screen and swiping because you feel a little uncomfortable with the quiet, with sitting there with your own thoughts. Many of us created new rhythms to Uh, replace our comforts during 2020, right? And one of those was actually not going anywhere, not leaving your home ever. And we've seen that, like there's still people who are still not gathering with us. And some of those reasons may be because of like health or other things, but I know, I know some people well enough to know. And because I could have slipped into this too, if I didn't need to be here. Some of that is, man, it's just so much easier sitting at home and going to church online. Just pull it up on on my computer, on my phone. We, We found these ways to comfort ourselves because it seemed like we had lost so much, right? Comfort, I'm gonna hop over to the next C because comfort and control are very closely connected. It's usually when you feel like you're out of control that you go reach for something to comfort you. 
to kind of self-medicate, to soothe your heart, if you will. And when it seems like everything's out of your control, you got to find a way to control the things around you that you can. To kind of give yourself this illusion that, no, no, really, you do have control. Road rage is a thing because of control and comfort. Because the second that one of those things is revealed to us that we don't have, what do we usually do? We get angry. And anger, therapists in here will tell you, is a secondary emotion. Am I right about that? I think I am. It's a secondary emotion, and it's stirred up by something else. And I see that in my own home. I see that in my own heart, that when there's no control over something, I want to get angry because I feel like I'm losing control. I, if I yell, maybe I can get that control back. Literally, uh, a couple weeks ago, one of my sons was yelling and screaming a lot, and I came out of the room and I went, hey, stop yelling! Like, that works, right? Scream to get them to stop screaming. No, it <laughs> makes no sense at all. But I felt like I didn't have any control over the situation. So I was trying to take it. Approval. Oftentimes, we do the things we do so that other people will approve of us. I loved you sharing, Brian, about Connor. Like he just helped that person just because they needed help. And then she offered him some money for it, right? But he, that's not what he was in it for. He wasn't trying to do it for that. But how often do we do the things we do so that we'll get something in return? Listen, have you ever heard this phrase, I just, I love helping other people because I love the way it makes me feel. I feel good about myself when I do something nice for others. That's probably the most dressed up, altruistic version of what I'm talking about because you're still not just doing it in order to serve and love. You're still doing it for what you'll get in return. I will feel good. Well, what happens when you don't feel good when someone needs help? What happens when it's actually a sacrifice and it's terrible and you don't want to do it at all? Like Jesus, the night when he was in the garden before going to the cross and he did not want to do it. But not my will, God, your will. And then finally, success. We do things because we want to be seen as successful and powerful. This is really kind of what was at the heart too of the first man and woman grabbing from the fruit of that tree to say, I don't need God to control my life, to be in charge of my life. I can decide for myself and I can make a name for myself. That was a tower of Babel, right? Let us all come together and make a name for ourselves. Let's build something up here. Now, the religious people who are coming in to that church, to the Colossians, all of these things were at play there. All of them were. Hey, it's a lot more comfortable to go along with the story that the world's telling us around us, right? It just is. Like real moment, when we've had people leave our church this last year, it's been because it would have been a lot easier for me to side with this political ideology with this group and then turn around behind their back and side with this political ideology. It would have been a lot easier and there'd be more people sitting in these seats. It's a lot harder it's a lot more uncomfortable to hold on to the true story of the hope that we have 
that is bigger than all of that. It's a lot more comfortable to just fit in. When, when you start doing the things that people expect from you as they were doing in that little city in Colossae, is then you start getting the approval of the people who are in charge and who have power. And if you get the approval of people who are in charge and have power, then maybe you can start to be seen as successful and you can climb in power and control as well. And you can start to have control over your own life. But what he was reminding them is you have no control. And you're not promised any comfort in this world. Not until Jesus returns. That's the hope that you're waiting for, stored for you in heaven, he says. This is what Paul goes to remind them of. Here's the true story. Here's where your hope is found. Colossians 1, I'm gonna read verses 15 through 20. And in this, Paul is writing about Jesus. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. So name one thing that has not been created by him. Can you do it? Everything in heaven and on earth has been made by him. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, he's saying, I know, I know that the people in power around you are telling you to live this way. I'm telling you about the one who truly is in power though. That's your hope. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, verse 17, and by him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in what? Everything. Does he have first place prominence in your life right now? Does he have first place in your workplace, in your home, in the ways that you deal with your family members? He has first place in everything. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is where our hope comes from. And this hope pertains to all of life. And so that lie that was given to the Colossians, hey, yeah, you can hope in Jesus for what's to come. You can hope in Jesus for the afterlife. You can hope in Jesus so that you will live after you die. That's something that the modern church, the Western American church has just grasped onto. We can, we can get this get out of hell free card from Jesus by saying a prayer, walking an aisle, and maybe going to church every now and then, right? And maybe I'll get a few more crowns in heaven if I read my Bible every once in a while. But it, but it becomes this thing that will come one day. But what they were telling the Colossians is, but, but for now, here's what you got to do really to be a, approved by God and to be approved by us. And what we just read is that Jesus has power and authority and dominion and holds all things together, both in heaven and on earth. All of it, all things, 
all areas of your life, whether it's at home, church, school, work, wherever. Jesus is the one who holds it all together. And he is the very source of our hope in all circumstances. And so when things get uncomfortable and we want to start self-medicating and soothing, we go, no, 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 let me turn to Jesus. When life seems out of control and we start to get angry, we remember the one who is in full control. That even at the moment where it seemed like he had no control on the cross, he actually was doing the very thing he came to do. And we remember we have someone who's in control that we can go to. When, when we feel like, I, I just care so much about what these people think of me, what this one person thinks of me, or am I doing enough to be accepted by God even? When we're looking for that approval, we remember that Jesus came while we were still sinners and he died for us because of that. But he rose again and he offered new life to all who would put their hope in him. And when we have that pull, that tug in our heart to be successful, to be powerful, to be seen, to have notoriety, we remember that Jesus was the one who had glory before the world was even created. Before all things, all things are made through him and all things are made for him. That the glory belongs to him and him alone. But here's what's crazy is that he actually promises for those who follow in him that we get to share in his glory. You want power, you want success, you do it the way Jesus did, which he laid his down in order to serve others, even to the point of death. And because of that, he has now given the name above all names and he rules over all things and all who follow in him and place their hope in him get to share in his glory one day. Verse 27 says this, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, that's all the nations, the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where can you put your hope? Not just wishful thinking, not just, oh man, if this happens, that'd be great but an assurance, a confidence because of what God has already done through Jesus. Your hope of glory is that Jesus is in you and that we are in him. If, if, verse 23, indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. What he's saying is, hold on to the hope that we have. Believe in the story. Keep your story straight. Don't mix in the other stories of the world around us. Our hope is in Christ alone. Amen? As we go through this holiday season, there's a lot of other competing stories. There's a lot of other things trying to grasp our attention and to get a hold of our hearts. But we remember, we're celebrating that we have hope because Jesus is in us and we are in him. And we get to be one with him because of what he's accomplished. That's what we're remembering. I'm gonna send out later today uh, the Advent study guide that Missio Tempe put together for all three congregations this year. I encourage you guys to take some time to go through that. Uh, it's a weekly thing. I do have um, access to other resources if you want a daily thing. 
throughout this Advent season, just so that we can, it's, this is not a thing, hey, do this also, plus Jesus, right? <laughs> this is not something you need to do to be approved, but this is an invitation to rest in the true story throughout this season. It's an invitation to remember the hope we have because of Jesus.